Amen. It is such a privilege to be here with you all. Uh, like uh, Ernesto said, uh, you guys are supporting us. And <clears throat> if you would like to know what's going on in our town, and we're actually planting a church outside of our town too, uh, I encourage you to sign up. There's multiple ways to get in touch with us. But, um, but please get in touch. And because I want you guys to know um, the legacy of this church right now, like around the world. And you guys are already supporting. You should rejoice in awesome stories you get to be a part of. You should. Um, you know, sometimes I, I have a feeling talking to um, guys like you who actually, like, this church has been doing an amazing job of missionary care and... and um, uh, we are very thankful that you guys part part of the reason why how God makes it easy for us to live out our passion in church planting. And uh, sometimes when we come, we kind of like want you guys to grasp the powerful stories what you guys helped to happen. Actually, but God involved you, so you can nothing you can do about it. You're already involved, so you should. <laughs> Uh, you should know, and uh, so anyway, there is multiple ways to get in contact, and <clears throat> please pray for us. We have a similar church, uh, a lot of nations, college, town, and we have like a very like proper hickish redneck church out in the country, cowboys, <laughs> sheep farmers, and I, I, got, I get to like disciple guys in Jesus, and I, I figured out quickly that I either can only spend time with them in the pub or in the pen and shearing sheep, so I get to do a lot of I love it, actually. That's my, that's my. Um. So uh, we are very, very well loved by this church. And today we're going to continue uh, your series on the Sermon on the Mount. And we are actually starting chapter 6. And I'm going to read these four sentences. We're going to cover the first four sentences. It says, be aware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in, in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And uh, I was greatly encouraged by the series you guys are going through. And Pastor Brian started actually this series pointing out that the Sermon on the Mount is for Christians. So if you're not a Christian here, you honored us so much to listen to Jesus' honesty. But we cannot make the mistake, how Pastor Brian warned us, to require the standards of Jesus' ethics from non-Christian people. I think that's one of the biggest turnoffs we do to our culture. We read these verses and then we beat the world with it. These are Jesus' words for Jesus' disciples. And this is his honesty about his ethics. And he actually, we can see that Jesus, we saw in the last Sundays actually here, that Jesus has ethics on sexuality, 
has ethics on speech and trustworthiness, ethics on marriage, ethics of conflict, conflict resolution, and, and the list goes on and on, and you're in the middle of the series, so it will go on and on. And if we do not intentionally have our own ethics on sexuality, ethic of speech and trustworthiness, ethic of marriage, ethic of conflict resolution, and so on and so on, then as Pastor Brian said, we run with what we inherited. We will have one, but it is inherited. For example, for example, for, from your family, you inherited these ethics from your culture, from your hurts, and then you will run with those. But the last sentence you looked at, uh, actually, is Matthew 5:48, which says, "You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect." Well. Hear, hear the gospel. The, the grace of Jesus Christ sobers us up. Okay? The grace of Jesus Christ draws us to repentance. Okay? The grace of Jesus Christ gives us forgiveness of our sins. Okay? The grace of Jesus Christ cleanses our consciences, which is huge. I get to meet people from all around the world coming, all, not even Christians, attending our church, and you know what I can tell? It doesn't matter what culture you came from. All souls are yearning for cleansed consciences at the foot of the cross. Okay. The, the grace of Jesus Christ just showers us with undeserved kindness. Okay. But you, you must be mature and you must know that Jesus Christ is not, is not a giant enabler. He, he doesn't do all this to help us to stock in our unhealthy cycles and toxic addictions and substance abuse and bitterness. No, no, he, an, an encounter with the grace of Jesus Christ will transform us, will change us. There's, there's no question about it. So, this sentence should not, harsh, should not sound harsh and legalistic. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's, it's this giant welcoming arms of a perfect Father. He's just drawing us to His nature. You know. But interestingly enough, when Jesus invites us close to God's perfect nature, actually invites us to be partakers of God's nature, he right away warns us how not to go about it. The next sentence, what we read, starts, okay, come close to daddy. Be aware. Be aware of practicing your righteousness of, before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. These words of warning imply that the great story writer is, in fact, very aware that we are inclined to develop these religious subcultures. We are so inclined to develop religiosity, which strives for the different levels of man's approval. You know. And it makes sense. It's not new. 
but you can really observe it in our culture. We love to be entertained, and we love to entertain. Okay? It's part of our culture. But it's not, just, it's not a new thing that we love to applause and we love to be applauded. Uh, it's so, in fact, it's so not, so not a new thing. There is a saying, actually. The, the Romans actually had a saying, how to numb their own society. And so just bread and circus to the people. It's not a new thing. But we love to be entertained, and we love to entertain people. So shall we then not perform any works of righteousness in front of people? Not perform any good works? What about Matthew 5, 13 to 16? Pastor Gunther talked about this a few weeks ago. The same sermon actually says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, light your, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So actually... Gunther did a really good job using the qualities of salt, just pointing out that salt is valuable. You are valuable to this culture. You should shine. Uh, salt is, has this preserving effect. It slows corruption. We, we do slow corruption. We do have a preserving effect on our communities and our, and our culture, and it adds flavor. We do give a flavor of eternity to our culture, and, 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 and Gunther also pointed out that it has medicinal effects, which is true. There is redemptive stories with gospel-soaked people. Okay, so, actually, it doesn't even say you should, you should be salt, we should be lights, but simply states that we are. We are. So these warnings of be aware of practicing your righteousness before people is actually not about the doing, but warnings searching out our heart's motivation. And the question is, are we practicing any form of righteousness in order to get man's applause? I feel very convicted. But if you do, we have to clarify a couple of things about the nature of man's approval. A praise of man, first of all, is shallow. But more importantly, is so unreliable. Often the same people who praise you and think too much of you will be the same ones who judge you too harshly or cut you down unrightfully. It is so unreliable. And one of the problems is if we make the approval of people our end goal, then we make our security, our competence, and even our whole, sometimes our whole identity dependent on their approval. I heard a musician called Lecrae said once, if you live for people's acceptance, you will die from their rejection. Well said. And on the other hand, 
if we aim for the reward from people, that is all what we will get. Spurgeon reminds us there is no reward from God to those who seek it from men. And it's not like God couldn't bless us, but that God would not bless us because we wouldn't care anyway. We're so short-sighted on man's approval. But if we want to justify ourselves in the eyes of people, then it will put us on the fast track to show more than we really are. It will make us the kind of people the world judges the church for most of the time. Hypocrites. And that is exactly how Jesus continues. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and, on the, and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. Jesus addresses hypocrisy 17 times in the book of Matthew. And by the way, the tone and the seriousness of the warnings about hypocrisy just gets harsher and harsher here on out. Like at the end of Matthew, I, I watch Jesus yell about this. You hypocrites. But without thoroughly studying all the effects of hypocrisy, we should mention some of them, okay? And um, not my words. Hypocrisy makes our righteousness all about appearance and absolutely oblivious to heart issues. Also, hypocrisy makes people makes us people with logs in our eyes, with tweezers in our hands, go look for specks in other people's eyes. That's what hypocrisy does. Also, hypocrisy makes us only honor with lips, makes our heart far from God, and makes our worship in vain. Heavy words, not mine. That's Jesus quoting Isaiah about hypocrisy. Hypocrisy makes us get lost in being right in details, good details, but details, and this is Jesus' words, neglect the weightier matters of the law like justice and mercy and faithfulness, like the essence of the gospel in redemption stories, just like absolutely missed when people need to be protected, when people need to have mercy we need to stick out with friends who are struggling. That's... Also, hypocrisy makes us unable to receive and extend grace. Hence, hinder ourselves and others from the kingdom of God. Now, at this point, this is the end of Matthew, actually. Jesus is yelling. Hypocrisy actually 
makes you miss the party and cause other people to miss the party. You will not be able to receive grace and you will be so judgmental, you will not extend grace to anyone. You will actually hinder people going to the kingdom of God. That's what the word of God says, which is, oh my goodness, I'm so convicted. That's like a firefighter with an arson problem. You know, that's like, you know, a doctor with a murder problem. That's like a church planter with hypocrisy problem. That's bad. That's very bad. Actually forbidding people to actually enjoy the party. And you're missing it yourself. And here comes a dangerous one. Hypocrisy makes us look clean and beautiful on the outside. But according to Jesus, inside, we are full of robbery, self-indulgent, dead man bones, and all uncleanness. Is it Jesus' words about hypocrisy? Heavy. Again, without thoroughly studying these effects of hypocrisy, maybe the most grievous aspect that is it possible that the, in the appearance of cleanness and beauty, we start to believe about ourselves what we try to portray. And God begs us to be honest to others. God begs us to be honest to Him, and God begs us to be honest also to ourselves. God's honesty in the Sermon of the Mount is not just like a countercultural, but, but begs us to be honest, honest with ourselves. And hearts are revealed in the light of God's honesty. When He is honest with us, we are drawn to be honest. And just like we saw this brutal honesty. When, when we learned a few weeks ago about nonviolent retaliation, for example, Pastor Brian was, was teaching and using this example about when, when you are violated, when someone strikes you on the cheek, when someone uses you, misuses you, takes your cloak away, and, and how do you respond based on the Sermon on the Mount? Pastor Brian pointed out that when you turn the other cheek, when you give your other cloak, and, and, and you're stripped of your clothing, is actually an act of exposure of their greed, wickedness, and disregard toward your humanity. The Sermon on the Mount even exposes the heart of our enemies. There is no faking it in his honesty. But here today, our hearts are exposed. Are we going to be brave enough to hear God's honesty? And do we realize that these sentences actually are the preface to the Lord's Prayer? Where Jesus himself training us to engage in conversation with our Maker, starting like, Heavenly Daddy, your name is so special to me. But giving, giving and, and investing say more about us than we realize. Giving is mentioned before 
times of prayer in solitude with your maker. It is addressed before spiritual discipline of fasting is addressed. Giving is the first topic before you can be a super Christian, actually. It, it just reveals right away where our heart lies. And the sad thing is that using the investing, using and investing the God's gift, the resources He poured on us, we tend to use the same gifts and the same resources to develop this strange independence from Him and approval away from Him. Don't, please don't misunderstand this message. This, this, giving is, this giving is not about money. Come on. When you give to the needy. Have you met someone in need? How shallow is our culture that we think that we throw money at something and it will get better? Like, have you done hospice care before? Have you, have you watched and talked somebody through the moments of dying? Try to give them 20 bucks. How insulting that is. Have you helped a friend with depression or substance abuse? Do you throw money at them? No. What? This is not about money. Giving to the needy is not about money. I had a, I had a dear friend in our church, Joshua Wombo. He's a from Kenya and is learning in the universities, teaching in our church sometimes. And I mentioned money on one of the Sundays, and, and he, he was scheduled to speak next Wednesday. And then he comes up to me and say, like, hey, good thing you mentioned money, because I'm going to teach about this next Wednesday. I'm like, you are? <laughs> I, I actually got nervous. <laughs> like, oh, my goodness. Like, I hope he's not going to... Uh... And I was, like, I was like fighting. Like, should I call him? Should I check? Should I check? I, I'm like, this is Jesus' church. I'm not going to like micromanage. And then uh, I was nervous. And he started teaching about, and it's one of the most liberating teaching I heard about giving. And he basically said, uh, how we get to give the fruit of the Holy Spirit to one another. We get to love one another to pieces. We get to be kind in situations where we could react differently. We get to be patient and stick it out with struggling brothers and sisters. We get to give the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And he wasn't bragging or anything, but later I found out that one of his friends was in the hospital for nine months, and he cooked Kenyan food for his friend every day for nine months and took it in. Just No one knew about it. His, they're beautiful people in our church. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And are we going to be these brave, adventurous people with our maker and say, this is not going to be on Facebook, this is not going to be publicized, this is my secret with my maker, this is my business with him, but I have a heart for that person in our church and I will do everything in my power to love them to pieces. And I, I will I will like, if you gave me resources and Christ character and you gave me, really, I can 
I can be less of a jerk, really? <laughs> then please, oh, can I, just, can I just cheer that person on? God, can you give me the right words? Can you give me the time? Can you give me, can you give me the kindness, the goodness? I wouldn't have one on my own, you know? But if you read uh, sentences like Ephesians 2.10, where it says we are his poetry, we are his workmanship, the great story writer writes us into chapters which rhyme with giving. It's created, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's like the great story writer enjoying putting you in situations when you actually feel good about yourself. The story's not about you, but you actually enjoy it. You enjoy giving. It's joyful giving of energy and time and patience. And by the way, patience is always needed in negative situations. Like you don't need patience when it's all good. You need patience when it's when you want to get out of that situation, actually. And we could give each other things like this, you know, in need. And I, there was an older man who talked to me <laughs> earlier this year, and they keep bugging me because he actually, like, rebuked me on this. I talk, told him about our church and how awesome and uh, so vibrant and so, oh my goodness. It's, it's really beautiful to see like uh, all these cultures come together and then realize that we all need a cleanse, cleanse conscience and all of us, our hearts are melted at the foot of the cross and all of our cultures have aspects what we should celebrate, you know, yours too. My children are soaking up American culture right now and, there's and my culture has beautiful things to celebrate and we should celebrate it. Like food and certain things. Yeah, but, but all of our cultures actually have things that we should repent of in front of Christ. All of our cultures. And to see countercultural Jesus coming in and teaching driven, energetic young people in our church, servant leadership, for example, you know, like uni students who will conquer the world and develop cure for cancer and all that. And I believe they will. And Jesus is teaching them humility and humbleness. And then this older man asked me, it's good to hear you talk about your church, but is it, you, use, you keep using this word. And I, I, as much as I know you, it's like speaks about you, but then I, I wonder, it's just, I'm not saying it's not true, but I wonder if it's like part of your church culture. Did you pick this language up in your church? Do you like keep on talking? This is just part of, you know, Golgotha page. It's our church. And I'm like, what's that word? <laughs> it's like, you keep saying, like, I was so humble. That was so humbling. Oh, that was so, you know, I'm so honored. I'm so humbled. And he didn't call me prideful or arrogant, but oh my goodness, he had a way of, oh my goodness. So these guys come from countries where, you know, a real pastor has private helicopters and limousines and, you know, like lords over people and takes away their money and all this. It's just like, I, I'm, I'm a weak pastor in their eyes and, you know, and then uh, all these 
nations come with all their tribal traditions and honor cultures, which is actually shame cultures in the world. Like, there's no such a thing as honor culture. My culture is an honor culture. It's a shame culture. And you hear such, like, honor killing, for example. That's not honor killing. That's shame killing. That's what daddy saying. Being shamed is way more bigger deal for me than my daughter's life. So when we look at this and Jesus comes in and, and teaches us like the most powerful leadership ever, which is servant leadership, and then and these students are soaking it up. Everybody wants to be on our worship team. I'm like, yeah, okay, if you want to be on the worship team, that's okay. You can serve from the front, but you got to serve from the back. Hey, why don't you help me clean toilets for a few months? And, and, and we just, we're not rude about it. Which I like to do it, and you know. But is it possible, and this is my struggle, is it possible to have such a thing as a celebrity servant leader? A pastor with a broom. Because if that's even slightly possible, it's, it's, I already got my reward. <laughs> I'm, I'm already short-sighted by this passage. I, so if I sweep up the church, break down, take the stage apart, every, and, then, and then I sweep with a slightly different feeling, if there's five people still in the room, or if nobody's in the room. And these are the kind of issues, if you would not bring it up, I would probably never see it in you. If I would not bring it up, you'd probably never see it in me, you know? We can actually wing over these issues. But Jesus actually, loving and honest, and says, no, 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 no. I care so much more about that you get your full reward. He doesn't even say, he doesn't even say just like do it foolheartedly because that's the right thing. No, he says, no, no, no. I don't want you to miss the real party. He actually motivating us with reward. Philippians 2.12, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We are in the hands of the great story writer. He wrote us into chapters he wrote circumstances, opportunities for good works, gave the gifts of the Holy Spirit to you all, the nature of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, gave you, you can do all this because he orchestrated it. But we can go about it in a way where we get so short-sighted and we actually miss So he talks about a reward. He talks about, in Colossians 3, it actually says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for man. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. I don't know why he does it like this. 
Hebrews 11, it says actually, when he, when he teaches about like, the essence of faith, actually, he says that without faith it is impossible to please him, and whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and, and that he rewards those who seek him. Which is like our culture would say, like, if you're not a believer, you should believe that he exists and he will judge the sinner. Well, yeah, well, he actually had a different way to get the first impression on people. He, he does exist, and he rewards. He rewards. He gives undeserved kindness. He is a luxurious lover. But if you look at this whole story, I wasn't the one who cried out and said, I want to be a good boy. I want to be a good boy. He came after me. The grace of Jesus drew me to sober me up, drew me to repentance, drew me and then gave me forgiveness of sins, undeserved, undeserved kindness, gave me a cleansed conscience to be even think sober, feel sober. And then he writes all these stories of love and redemption around me where he actually says, you could read this in a book or you could watch me. And then we walk in these crazy adventures of redemption. We love people to pieces. We give, we give, we give. The more we give, the more luxurious he is. And more he gives, the more we give. And at the end of these stories, we actually will, the Bible says we will turn out to this beautiful worship. And we will actually not even worship him for the cool missionary stories and Bible translations and church plantings and all that, which are good stories. But we will worship him that he clothed us in the robe of righteousness in the first place. That's Isaiah 61. That he got us in the party in the first place. And then we go up to heaven and the party doesn't stop. We will keep on worshipping, keep on worshipping. And then actually the first worship song, the lyric of the worship song is written. The, the topic of our worship is going to be, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. He got us with all nations and all ethnicities and all tongues and all tribes and paid his blood as a price for us. And then we see in Revelations, I don't care how you interpret Revelations, there is a chapter in there when he's giving out rewards. Rewards. For what? Like he came after us. He cleansed us. He met us in our most vulnerable and stinky place. He orchestrated all the good works ahead. He actually sobered us up. We're like, don't be dumb. See the opportunity. He gets us involved with all his resources to give to someone else, and you actually enjoy the process. And then he gets you to heaven, and he starts giving out rewards. For what? No wonder the scene goes in future chapters that you just throw our crowns down and just throw our rewards at him and say, no, 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 no. Worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb. No, are you kidding with me? And actually, we will have everything what our hearts yearn for. And I think that we'll see that our reward is Him. He didn't bought us with toys, with gifts. He is our reward. So, I really appreciate your boldness to hear His honesty. I really appreciate that you would open your heart for the next weeks and hear him teach you to pray. 
And it's going to be very similar to this one. It's like, so when you pray, don't do it like... Because we're so inclined to stupid religious subcultures. It's like, and when you have spiritual discipline, you actually pay a price for your growth and your fast. It's like, don't do it like... Because we are in a culture of like to be entertained and entertaining others. But who cares what they say in the village when my maker asked me to stand in front of him? You know? God, we are so thankful for your honesty. God, we thank you for your words. Thank you that you have a way of rebuking and exhorting us so gently, so lovingly. Would you uh, give us the boldness to hear your honesty? Would you give us the boldness to have your words just transform our hearts? Jesus, bless this church. Bless our hearts, Jesus to see you as a reward, to have our secret deals with you, the secret deals with investing into other people, secret deals about giving, and do things unto you. Oh, would you cleanse our hearts? Would you cleanse our hearts? And I thank you so much for listening to this prayer right now. Amen. Thank you.